All right. Have we found the file, Robert? You have indeed. Thank you very much. Just on the way up here as I was coming up, someone said to me, because we were singing when the Saints go marching in, why can't you swim between two flags at, uh, in St Kilda? Because I've only won one. <laughs> Sorry, Pastor Chris, but it wasn't my fault. Someone else said that. All right. Uh, tonight, amazing experience speaking in tongues. We want to point out, of course, uh, and, and most of us here are well and truly aware of what I'm going to talk about tonight, but that won't do us any harm. Um, is that we're not particularly focusing on speaking in tongues as such because some people say, oh, all you talk about is speaking in tongues. Well, of course, because the experience is receiving God's Spirit. And speaking in tongues, for a lot of people, ends up being some sort of separate type situation altogether, maybe not even necessary in most cases. Whereas for us, of course, we understand the the critical nature of what it's all about spoken about this afternoon you you must have the holy spirit of course but the evidence as we often say to people needs to be very clearly identified and that of course is speaking in tongues so it's the experience of speaking in tongues is in conjunction with the experience of naturally of receiving god's spirit of course and uh, we know this experience first took place on the day of Pentecost, as uh, is declared in Acts chapter 2. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So right from the very beginning, the, the link is very clear that we've got a, a link between the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. They work in conjunction. They're not separate experiences. They're one and the same experience, of course. And that's when the Christian church began. It seems such a great pity that we're contending with so many ideas and concepts out there which are so vastly different to what we understand and appreciate from the Word of God. The Christian church began when about 120 people approximately received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. And some said, even used our amazing August, that's amazing. Others said, these men are full of new wine, trying to give some explanation of why this was all happening because some of these languages were identified and they knew this was quite incredible what was taking place. And they asked, what does this mean? And uh, Peter got up and said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit. So this was a promise, just like we heard this afternoon, amazing promises for now and eternity. This was a promise that the word of God identified way back in the book of Joel that God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. That means that it doesn't matter who you are particularly or what culture or what age or what background or what you might be involved in, the Holy Ghost is available to the whosoever. You can be a 16-year-old or 10-year-old. You can be a 93-year-old with baptised people at that age and, uh, and receive the Holy Spirit, of course. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. This is Peter still continuing on on that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. Now, we often remind people, and it's critical that we do, that when the people were amazed and they marveled and they said, what does this mean? They were in effect asking, what is speaking in tongues? 
They didn't know that terminology. They didn't know to ask that particular question. But they were attracted. Many of them came because they identified some languages that they recognised. And they saw, well, this is, a, this is impossible. How do these people speak my language? So they identified something incredible was taking place. Something amazing was taking place. And so they asked, what does this mean? And to all intents and purposes, Peter didn't answer the question. We know he did, but on the surface, he simply said, oh, this is the outpouring of God's Spirit. So what he was saying was, speaking in tongues is the outpouring of God's Spirit. All the people said. That's what he was saying. He didn't use that terminology as such. And they wouldn't have understood the terminology or the, or the, the various ways that the Bible might have presented this. But that was the question. How is it possible these people are speaking languages they've never learnt? Oh, that is the outpouring of God's Spirit. That's how it works. And just before this, of course, this promise uh, was uh, given to these people and commanded they would wait in Jerusalem till they receive it. So in the previous chapter, next chapter 1, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He's appeared. He's about to go back to his heavenly father and to have all of his mission uh, come to culmination when he, he sent the Holy Spirit. That was what it was all about. His death, burial, resurrection, ascension, all focused on sending the Holy Spirit. And that continues on, as Pastor Roland said, focusing on what the Holy Spirit gives us now and for all eternity. And so he said, you've got to wait for the promise. For John, this is the words of Jesus, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so 10 days later, that's exactly what happened. They received the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. Uh, but Jesus had promised this on more than one occasion. This is meant to be a little illustration of Jesus talking to a man called Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, who came to Jesus by night had a bit of a chat to him and said, I, we know that you must be of God because you do these miracles. And uh, perhaps he was looking uh, for a little bit of confirmation himself that, oh, yes, well, you're okay, Nicodemus. You're a, a ruler of the Jews. You're a very special, important you're a person. You're okay. But Jesus actually said, reading from the Amplified Bible, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, that unless a person is born again, he cannot ever see know, be acquainted with and experience the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know how clearer you can get any scripture than that. Unless you're born again, you cannot see into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus got the impact of it. He said, oh, how is this going to happen? Must I go back into my mother's womb to be born again? He knew that it had to happen somehow or other because you're never going to see the kingdom of God unless it does happen, unless you're born again. And Jesus, of course, said, he answered, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. How much emphasis can you put on speaking in tongues and the, and the outpouring of God's spirit? I mean, how much considering that Jesus himself said, you're never going to see the kingdom of God without God's spirit. You're never going to see it. Listen to me. Truly, truly, I say unto you, amen and amen. So be it, so be it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless you're born again, you're never going to see the kingdom of God. Now, that puts pay to all the other stuff that people do. We don't want to be unkind. We just simply want people to embrace what God said and what the Bible tells us to do. It's no good saying, oh, we don't want to offend people or we don't want to upset anybody else. Well, we're going to upset a lot of people if we don't tell them how to get saved, of course. 
Jesus went on to say, and I'm quoting from the Green's literal translation of John chapter 3 and verse 8, because it's quite clear that we need to know how this all happens and what evidence or proof do we have that we're born again, since we must be born again of logical, absolute necessity. The Spirit breathes where He desires or chooses. You hear His voice, phonos in the Greek, but you do not know from where He comes and where he goes, so is everyone who has received birth from the Spirit. Now, you must be born again, and everybody who is born again, you'll hear the voice thereof. It's as simple as that. It's not complicated. Jesus himself said elsewhere, and these signs will follow those that believe. They will speak in new tongues. Believers will speak in tongues. And there are many other illustrations, of course. So we go back to where it happened Jesus had spoken about it. The Old Testament had spoken about it. And now in Acts chapter 2, it was fulfilled. And they asked the question at that time, what shall we do? And I know that it's been mentioned today already and we mention it every day. In fact, uh, it's on our logo, not that that carries any weight on itself. But the scripture is how to tell people the same things that the Bible wants us to definitely emphasise. You've got to be born again. You must be baptised in water by full immersion. You must receive God's spirit because you have to have your sins forgiven and washed and taken care of. You need to start again. You need to be a new creature. You need to be born again. And the promise is unto you, to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as our Lord our God shall recall. Has God recalled this? Has God rescinded this promise? As he said, it doesn't apply anymore. No, as many as the Lord our God shall call, and he's still calling, it's still happening, of course. There are not a lot of people that don't like speaking in tongues for some reason or other. Speaking in tongues is sort of singing, but it's neither musical nor comprehensible. There are many, many quotes. I'm not going to quote them all, but there are a lot of objections to speaking in tongues for some reason. And they try to give all sorts of explanations. I've got a leaflet uh, at home which was put out uh, particularly in opposition to the revival centres way back then. And uh, this was part of it. To, to, uh, quite clearly this person has no idea what speaking in tongues is. It's amazing how critical people can be without any information whatsoever. Speaking in tongues is a baby language stemming from a frustrated childhood. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> Meaningless jargon. These are literal quotes from people and there's dozens and dozens more of course i know it's in the bible but i'm not interested well at least that's a bit more honest and she'd rather sit with their dogs and her cats than worry about speaking in tongues or receiving the holy spirit there are a lot of people who 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 have a bit of a knowledge of some things but they really are not they're not focused on what god requires of us what's the point if you don't know what you're saying most of us have heard this before what's the point of speaking in tongues if you don't know what you're saying well, I do know what I'm saying when I'm speaking in English, so I can express anything I want to say in English, or some of you know two or three different languages. You can express anything you want to say to anybody that understands your language, what you need to say. The Bible makes it very clear, for he that speaks in an unknown tongue doesn't speak unto men. If you want to speak unto men or to women, you speak English or you speak Malaysian or you speak Indonesian or you speak whatever you want to speak, whatever you know, Italian or Greek. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men but unto God, for no man understands him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. So it's clear. That's the way it's meant to be. We weren't meant to be speaking uh, uh, that people understood us. So we often get the question, well, how come on the day of Pentecost some were understood? 
Well, even when some languages were understood, they still challenged the situation. Just imagine if there were no languages at all understood. Then, then they simply would just go down the path of saying this is all just nonsense. But they couldn't say that because some languages were understood. And it was clear this was a miracle. This was beyond the normal. This was an amazing situation that was happening. But it wasn't for the purpose of preaching to anybody or talking to anybody. It was, it was the aim to identify this was a miracle. These are legitimate languages. And I think there's only about 16 of them out of 120, so we don't know whether the others were just totally different or they repeated them or something. It doesn't really matter, of course. Speaking in tongues is for preaching in a foreign country. How many times can you read that? That's, that is a standard definition of a lot of people. I, I just find that ludicrous that you're going to go somewhere like maybe I'll go to China or something like that and then I'll just get up in front of a thousand people and I'll just start, start speaking in tongues. You sort of want to hope that you get it right, don't you? You're going to look a bit silly. So I refer back to 1 Corinthians where we just read. It's not for talking to men at all. It's for talking to God. And by the way, the disciples were speaking in tongues before the multitude arrived. If they were preaching, who were they preaching to? Also, 120 people approximately all preaching at the same time. Even in the one language, that would be bad enough. But if they're all different languages, 120 people all speaking in different languages, supposedly preaching. I don't think so. Even when some of the languages were recognised, they were still in doubt and had to ask, what does it mean? Because they weren't being preached to. There was nothing explained to them in tongues. They were praising God in tongues, in the languages. The people themselves wouldn't have known that they were speak what language they were speaking in. So they, they were just happily, as we all are, speaking in tongues and just praising God and, and worshipping the Lord, of course. Uh, and... Uh, if they were somehow they meant to be preached to, surely then they would have known already or listened to what was being taking place here. But they weren't because Peter got up and spoke in the language they understood and told them how it all worked, of course. Tongues have ceased. Many people say that's very convenient to say that. And they quote a scripture, of course. Charity never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, oh, there we go, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. So is, have all prophecies now failed? Are they finished? Has all charity, uh, are we, we're just focusing on that. We don't, we don't think about anything else, about knowledge or any other aspect of the Bible or the Word of God. Or Have they all passed away? Or is it just conveniently the tongues have ceased? Because we don't really want them. We don't mind having prophecies or knowledge, but we don't, certainly don't want tongues. Well, the Bible says, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. Are we living in a perfect world right now? Is Jesus Christ returned? Is the government upon his shoulder? Is he ruling with a rod of iron? Is everything back in harmony now? Is everything wonderful on this planet of ours? I don't think so. And while it's not perfect yet, then we will continue on worshipping the Lord the way the Lord has ordained in the church, in the church environment. And we'll still be dealing with prophecies of his return and, and looking at prophecies like we did last week of those things that have been fulfilled. And we'll certainly be discerning the word of God and looking to uh, divide the word of truth, of course, accurately and appropriately. The least of the gifts, which is a misnomer straight away because they often quote the, uh, these as gifts. First of all, when you receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, it's not a gift of tongues. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence that comes with that when you speak in tongues. 
And we have to make that clear to people over and over again. We are not talking about some separate gift here. We are talking about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's internally and externally you speak in tongues, not separately, together. That's the way it works. The gift of tongues is something that we had this afternoon when you operate two of the most three who speak in tongues at a meeting. The question was asked, do all speak in tongues? And often they quote that. Well, the answer to that is, which do you mean? Do you mean when a person receives the Holy Spirit or do you mean when the gifts are operated in the church? Because the answer is different. The question, do all speak in tongues, is yes or no, depending on which you're dealing with. If you're dealing with, do all speak in tongues when they receive the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you, do you all speak in tongues when they operate the gifts in the church? No. And there are probably some people here who have never operated the gift of tongues. That's not a criticism or a condemnation. That's just the way it is. We would encourage you, of course, to keep seeking. But that's what the Lord uh, identifies. So then in chapter uh, 12 of, of 1 Corinthians, there's nine gifts mentioned. Tongues is not the last, by the way. It's the second last. So the last one is the gift of interpretation. Because really, if you do away with tongues, then you don't really need the gift of interpretation. We can get rid of both of those. I find that a, an amazing argument. That's a bit like having a birthday party and someone comes and gives you nine presents and you list them all out and then you throw away the ninth because you don't think that's important. It's the last one. Then, of course, if you throw away the ninth, then the eighth becomes the last one. So we can throw that away too because that'll be the least of the, the eight gifts that are left. And if you keep doing that, what happens? We throw away all nine, and that's exactly what the churches have done. They not only have said it's the least of the gifts and we don't need that one, they don't need anything the Lord has got in store for them in the way they operate. Tongues are of the devil. That's another example. And there are still some churches who still go and knock on doors and they're a little, less, a little more reluctant, a little less likely to say it's of the devil now. But if you, if you corner them, they'll say it. You just push them and they'll say it. That's because that's what they believe. That's their doctrine. It's, of the, it's not available today. It can't be available today. And if it's not available today and it's happening, well, it must be somewhere else. The devil must be doing it. It says in Luke, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children... How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, when I got baptized on March the 2nd, 1969, I was looking to the Lord, if he did exist, to do his stuff. Are we suggesting that God was overridden, not only then, but any other time, by the devil? And he came in and, and, and performed some sort of situation on you where you spoke in this language. You can read all sorts of amazing stuff. I don't recommend it, of course. But they talk about people going to various places and various uh, groups of people doing all sorts of things and they, they call it speaking in tongues. Just because a person calls it speaking in tongues doesn't mean it is. And I'll give you the example, and you probably remember the example I gave you, of a lady that came to our assembly in Dubbo a long time ago. And uh, she had come to our meetings because we put a, a sign up on a bus stop which said, uh, why does Dubbo need a revival centre? And so she saw that my phone number phoned me up. Since she came along, I talked to her. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you speak in tongues? Yes. Have you been baptised? Yes. I thought, oh, this is looking pretty good. So she came to a meeting. Uh, about a meeting or two later, we were having a baptism in a particular house in a person's bath. And she said, what, 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 what are they doing in that room? I said, well, we're baptising someone. 
And she said to the person, not me because I was doing the baptizing, but someone in the lounge room, she said, oh, when I was baptized, I was baptized in a chair. And he's thinking, well, she lowered down on a crane or something. What, what, what was happening here? Anyway, it turns out that she was talking about supposedly being baptized in the spirit. She'd never been baptized in water at all. So when it was explained to her, she got baptized that same night in that same bath. And I was praying with her and I said to her now, you know, you speak in tongues, so w w when you uh, come up uh, out of the water again, just start praying in tongues again. So we baptized, she came up, and she, said, she started praying. I'm making this bit up, but I don't know. Eagle blog, eagle de blog, eagle de blog, eagle de blog. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm saying eagle de blog. I said, I know you're saying eagle de blog. Why are you doing that? She said, because that's the word they told me to say. She'd been to a Catholic charismatic group for nine weeks studying how to receive the Holy Spirit. After she supposedly passed the course in nine weeks, the nun gave her her speaking in tongues. This is the language. Your language is eagle blog. <laughs> the person next door got some other thing. So, so she thought, she was told, she was now speaking in tongues by saying eagle blog. It's not surprising we're a little sceptical about what goes on out there. We don't trust people. They don't understand how it all works. We know what speaking in tongues is, but many people who use that terminology do not know what it means. So don't be fooled by that. You need to, you need to de delve a little deeper when we're talking to people and find out what really is going on in their life because they may well have been deluded into believing something which is not the truth. So... We know that if we look to the Lord, we're going to receive what the Lord has in store for us. And we know that we can trust what the Bible has to say about speaking in tongues. Now, some people say to us, well, there's not a lot about speaking in tongues in the Bible. How much do you want? One person said to me, why is it on the front page? Would that have really solved the problem? Maybe before we get to Genesis 1, in the beginning God created, we could have a sort of preface. And by the way, before you read any of this, you need to receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. I, I guess God could have done that. But, you know, he, he's, he's in the business of sifting out those who really want to believe and those who really want to follow and those who really want to be part of the kingdom of God. And if you want to be a lawyer, sorry, if you want to be a lawyer and sort of find some loophole, well, good luck to you. But there are no loopholes in God's word and there's no excuses. And we encourage people to take it on the way the Bible wants us to take it. So we go to the book of Acts, just quickly. Acts chapter 10. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly because you're fairly familiar with them, but I still love going through them. Uh, Acts chapter 10 is a time when a man called uh, uh, Peter went to a household called Cornelius, the Italian band. They were a rock group back then. Uh, and uh, they, uh, they, they needed to get saved. The fascinating... When the Lord puts things in the book of Acts... The examples he uses are sort of covering the sort of the variety of things that people deal with and, and we have to deal with. In this case, Cornelius was a devout man, he and his household. He prayed, he worshipped, he fasted, he, uh, he gave alms, he did a lot of stuff, but he wasn't saved. He wasn't saved for one reason only. Unless you're born again of the water and the spirit, you will not see you into the kingdom of God. It doesn't say in brackets, except if, of course, if you give a lot of charity or except if, uh, if you're a, a nice, upright person in your community, or except anything. There's no exceptions. So this man was not born again, and if he wasn't born again, he's not saved. But God saw that he had honourable intentions, and so 
He's not going to leave this man languishing. He gave an opportunity for this man to hear the truth. And Peter was given an opportunity to go to this Gentile household and preach the gospel to them. And the Bible says, while well, yet Peter spake these words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. How did they know that? Here was Peter preaching Christ unto them and preaching all the things that he was involved in and now suddenly they've received the Holy Ghost. Well, we know the answer, of course, for they heard them speak with tongues. It's as simple as that because that's how it works. You receive the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues. In Acts chapter 8, where no mention of speaking in tongues you, can you read. Why would you quote that? You're talking about speaking in tongues. Well, again, most of us know that. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. There it is on the left-hand side. And preached Christ unto them. There he is. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Uh, but I just go back there because I want to just fill in the gaps there. Um, so what happened was uh, this, this group of people uh, all responded well to what was being said. They even got baptised in water. There's a man called Simon the Sorcerer there, not Simon Peter, but Simon the Sorcerer. And Simon the Sorcerer had been done, doing a lot of tricks. He'd make aeroplanes disappear and hats, producing rabbits out of hats. And he did a lot of stuff. They were all impressed by this sorcerer. Whatever he did, his magic arts and so on. And they used to follow him around. Now they stopped following him around and started following Philip around. And they were pretty excited about what Philip was doing. And he got baptised too. But we'll see that he got baptised for wrong motives. So here we've got a group of people now, including Simon, baptised in water, excited about what was being said, following Philip around, believing what he's got to say, and, and, and obviously seemingly committed most church people at this point in time, you can say to them, do you now believe that these people are saved? Oh, yes. One translation, the Living Bible, calls them Christians at this point. Not in the Bible. They just made that up. It was just uh, their idea. So when they say, yes, I believe these people are wonderfully saved, I mean, look at them. They're committed to the Lord. I mean, they might have said the sinner's prayer, but they've done just as much, surely. And you say, oh, so they've received the Holy Spirit, have they? Oh, oh yes, well, well, yes, they must have. Well, let's read on. In the same chapter, a little bit further on, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. So they, Peter and John were going to join Philip. Why? Just to help them out? What, to help out these new Christians? To help these people out get established? No. Who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. So they hadn't received the Holy Ghost. Not my idea. It's what the Bible says. For as yet, this is still the Bible, he, the Holy Spirit, was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the Bible makes it very clear that this group of people who are getting quite excited about the things of God and following Philip around and so on, even getting baptized in water, which is more than enough for most people, were not spirit-filled. And the question's got to be, how did Philip convince Peter and John that these people were not spirit-filled? Why do they have to make this journey to come all the way to have prayer with these people to receive the Holy Spirit if they'd already received the Holy Spirit. They must have been convinced. It doesn't say anything 
It just simply lets us hang there, as it were, to know that, well, whatever that should have happened didn't happen. Whatever was supposed to accompany receiving the Holy Spirit didn't accompany at this time. So there was no Holy Spirit. And they knew that because the evidence was missing. So they laid their hands on them in the very next verse. This is Peter and John now who are there now. And they received the Holy Ghost. It doesn't say, and people want to say, why didn't it say and they spoke with tongues? Because we know. And we don't need any more than that. We know there must have been evidence for Peter and John to be now satisfied and Philip to be satisfied. And even Simon the sorcerer was satisfied. And when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, give me also this power that whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. That's pretty impressive. Now, Simon the sorcerer had, had them at his fingertips, these people. He, he, he was the great God as far as they were concerned. But he knew there was something big going on here. He knew he was a trickster. He knew this was the real deal. And he wanted to buy that. Peter said, you're going to perish along with your money. Interestingly enough, a man called Augustine uh, in, a long time ago wrote this. We still do what the apostles did when they laid hands on the Samaritans and called down the Holy Spirit. It is expected that converts should speak in new tongues. So that's a commentary, isn't it, really, on the very verses we've read. Even though it doesn't mention speaking in tongues, they came to that conclusion even back then, 1,600, 1,700 years ago. They came to that conclusion that what happened there was, of course, speaking in tongues. It was, it was missing when they hadn't received, obviously, and it was there when they did receive. Go to Ephesus, chapter 19. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spoke with tongues. We've got more than enough witness here on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 8, and Acts chapter 19, the promises in the Bible, the promises in the Old Testament. We've got more than enough evidence. That's the way it works. Uh, and I don't think we need anything more convincing than that. Some people say, oh, why doesn't the Lord mention this every time? Well, I think there are, well, there are over 30 conversions or accounts of conversions in the book of Acts, over 30 of them. And I'm not sure that any of them give all the details because you need to have the word of God. You need to believe the word of God. You need to respond to the word of God. You, you need to get baptized in water. You've obviously got to repent in there somewhere or other uh, and you've got to receive the Holy Spirit and you've got to speak in tongues. Well, you, you don't find all those ingredients mentioned, but they're all there at various places and we know what we're supposed to have and all those ingredients are critical, of course. Irenaeus, who wrote a lot earlier against heresies, he said, In like manner we do also hear brethren in the church who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages. This is not a new thing. It wasn't invented by the revival centres or something or other or some Pentecostal movement in this century or last century. This has always been the case. And every now and again you get a little snippet of it down through history. Whoever was baptised in apostolic days, he straightway spoke in tongues. In four, this man died in 407, so he must have written this beforehand. God's grace bestowed some sensible proof of his energy. I'm just quoting these. We don't need this. These are not people who are inspired by God to write things for the Bible. This is just their own personal writings. What we're trying to point out is that this experience is not new. It's the way it's always been, of course. Even Martin Luther. Now, Lutherans wouldn't uh, uh, embrace speaking in tongues at all, generally speaking. But uh, one person who wrote a, a history, and I'm not in any way putting, extolling the virtues of Martin Luther particularly. I'm just pointing out that this experience has been down through the ages. 
this man wrote this in his uh, uh, biography of, uh, of Martin Luther. Luther, full of inner love to the Lord like John, hasty indeed like Peter, deep in thinking like Paul, cunning and powerful in speech like, speech like Elijah, uncompromising against God's enemies like David, prophet and evangelist, speaker in tongues and interpreter in one person. So this particular man who was writing the, the biography of, uh, of Martin Luther identified Martin Luther used to speak in tongues. Not that that's necessarily of any great consequence. Lots and lots of people have spoken in tongues. But this is a person who's more well-known, no doubt. Dwight L. Moody, uh, not so long ago, uh, an author wrote about him. On the following Sunday night, when I got to the rooms of the YMCA, I found the meetings on fire. The young men were speaking in tongues. What on earth did it all mean? Only that Moody had been addressing them that afternoon. So down through the ages, there's a lot of Holy Ghost revival and tent campaigns. Looks a bit dilapidated there, but that's, uh, that's okay. It's at 7.30 at night, so it's not night time yet. It'll be full of people receiving the Holy Spirit a little later on that night. And, of course, down through the ages, when people have been taking photographs, there are lots of people. See how interestingly well-dressed they are. Um, tent campaigns. You don't need a tent, of course, but... The campaigns of people receiving the Holy Spirit have always been there. And, and we're just following on in the footsteps of millions of people who've gone before us, who've experienced the power of God, spoken in tongues, find it amazing, and have continued on. The, the problem is in the continuing on. Down through the ages, millions of people have received the Holy Spirit, and many, most perhaps, have not continued on. The the casualty rate is very, very high in the Lord, tragically enough. We're in the Lord's army and they're being shot down in flames for 2,000 years, unfortunately. Others have continued on. Let's make sure we continue on. Do all speak with other tongues when they receive the Holy Ghost? That's, well, yes, of course they do. And all the people said, of course they do. Uh, the apostles did, the mother of Jesus did. If you read her name is mentioned in Acts chapter 1 and then she's part of the group that spoke in tongues. Mary, the mother of God. Oh, oh. No, the mother of Jesus had to get saved like anybody else and receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And all the others there, we've read most of those. It's all there. To speak with tongues is the initial evidence that you have received the Holy Ghost, of course. There's more to it, but that's, that's the initial identification. It's immediate, it's external evidence, it's very clear. Uh, I had no problems. I spoke in tongues in 1.3 seconds, still sitting in the bathroom, uh, in the bath, in the bath, in the baptism tank, sorry, on the stage. Uh, my wife just at home, you, you got your own experiences, uh, you know, whether you needed some comfort and you go in and you ask for some prayer and you, you receive the Holy Spirit. It's, it's clear identification, it's clear confirmation. Because Jesus Christ said these signs will follow that believe. And they went forth preaching the Lord confirming his word with signs following. So it's a confirmation of God's word, of God's promises, of what God has made available to us. It's unification. It's a common experience. All you need is a tongue. doesn't matter how, how old you are. Well, you need to be old enough, I suppose, to understand what's happening to repent. But once you get past that stage... Well, we can all speak in tongues. And I've known some people who have been deaf and dumb who speak in tongues. And you may have heard of different experiences overseas where people who have been deaf and dumb, but they speak in tongues. Because God promised it, of course. 
regulation, the symbol of God's control. I'm not going to dwell on these, but the Bible makes it very clear the most unruly member of our body is our tongue. It's only a little member, like a little, uh, maybe a tiller on a ship or something or other, or a little other, the, the reins in a horse's mouth, not particularly big and a little bit in its mouth, but it's the one that controls it. And so the Lord's, in a sense, saying, I'm taking control of you. I'm taking your tongue. I'm going to do something with it. I'm going to give it a pure language. I'm going to give you something beyond the stuff you used to deal with and I'm going to take it outside of you and give it to you. Uh, we could talk about a scientific uh, investigation. They've done scientific investigations to demonstrate that the part of your brain you use for speaking in tongues is not the part of your brain you use for your normal language. Well, hallelujah, you can investigate that if you want to. But the Lord's taken care of our tongue, our most unruly member, and given us a pure language. Communication. We now can pray to the Lord in tongues. Of course you can pray in English or Greek if you want to, whatever. And you can praise him in your own language and you can worship him in your own language and you can give thanks in your own language but you can also give all of that when you just praise the Lord in tongues. And sometimes we are lost for words, the Bible would tell us, but we've got an ability now to be able to praise the Lord and talk to the Lord and communicate. And our sister mentioned how significant and vital that is. How often would we emphasise to people, how the Bible emphasises that, to pray in the Spirit, to give thanks in the Spirit constantly to build ourselves up and of course that's the next part isn't it edification building us up in the spirit and people don't understand it necessarily and maybe we don't fully understand how it all works but we know it works if you pray in the spirit and you build yourself up you're going to be stronger for it that's why the lord gave it to us we should all be praying and we should be making sure that we set aside time to pray in the spirit we are speaker in tongues people that's what we are and when it comes to the gift of tongues, that one we mentioned as part of those nine, it's a sign in the church as well. So we operate two or three at the most tongues, interpretation and prophecy for an unbeliever to be impressed, hopefully. Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. If you needed one scripture of the significance of tongues, there it is. Now, I don't know whether Paul, maybe you can check with Nick on the Greek on this or Alex, uh, I thank my God who speak with tongues more than you all. Is he thanking them more than all, them all for speaking in tongues? Or is he speaking in tongues more than them all and giving thanks for that? I don't know which one it is. I don't think it care, matters. I think it's probably both. He spoke in tongues regularly and he gave thanks to God regularly for able to speak in tongues. So you can, you can do that and I can do that as well. And that's, that's significant for us, to be able to have this ability wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, to be able to pray in tongues, quietly somewhere or other if there's some difficulty, in your car, uh, down by the shelter shed, wherever you happen to be, we've got this ability to be able to communicate with God Almighty in tongues. Did God make a mistake? No, he gave us the, the perfect arrangement. Fills with the Holy Spirit washed, new, a cleansed, forgiven and an ability ongoing not only to identify what's happening within us to that we are now the temple of the Holy Ghost but to give us that ability to be able to continue on reassuring ourselves, comforting ourselves, being uh, able to intercede and so on. All of those wonderful blessings. Speaking in tongues is wonderful. And they that gladly received his word were baptised uh, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. For those people who want to... Uh, 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 I wonder how many of those, by the way, of those 3,000 went on with it. I wonder how many did. 
of any group of people, how many go on with it? Those of us who have been around for a while, we know that a lot of people don't go on with it and we need to go on with it to the very end. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. And, the, and he's given us an ability to reassure ourselves every day. When you wake up in the morning and you can speak in tongues, you're a child of God because that's how it works. You've been adopted by the Spirit, which means you're equipped now to rise to meet the Lord in the air. So but while you're putting your socks on or whatever else the ladies put on, the Lord may come back. So when you wake up in the morning and you're, you're a child of God and you speak in tongues and you realise the, the blessing the Lord has given you, but get ready, take off. Could be, you might even get your breakfast. <laughs> One of these days that's going to happen, isn't it? One of these days when the Lord returns, we're going to be in the middle of something. You might be fast asleep snoring away and annoying your wife, your husband or whatever. But at some point in time, the Lord's going to come back and the world will be doing all its stuff and we'll be doing stuff too. And that stuff won't matter anymore. We just rise to meet the Lord in the air. And you won't be worried about your Cocoa Pops. You won't be worried about your socks. You won't be worried about anything because there'll be no more pain, sorrow, death or anything. You just rise to meet the Lord in the air. Almost as Pastor Roland said, it's a bit beyond our comprehension, all of this, but it's there just the same. And maybe the Lord knew it would be a little bit beyond our comprehension and that's why he gave us tongues so that we can pray in tongues. And if we ever needed reassurance, if you ever needed to have a, a confirmation of the promises of God, just speak in tongues. That's all you've got to do. Do you want to experience personally the mighty power of God? I think we might all have done that so here today, but we'll continue on experiencing it by continuing on looking to the Lord and, and valuing God's Spirit in love, walking in the Spirit, abiding in the Spirit, living in the Spirit. And thanking our God that we speak in tongues. And all the people said. Amen. All right. We might put some lights on. Maybe somebody might do that for me over there. Maybe the musicians can come back and we'll have one more chorus.